What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Hello, and welcome back to Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I am your host, Movie Mike. Today, I want to share with you why Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from 1990 is one of my favorite movies of all time. It is a top 10 film for me, and that is in honor of the new animated Ninja Turtles movie coming out this weekend. We'll get into a spoiler-free review of Mutant Mayhem, and in the trailer part, we'll talk about Joaquin Phoenix as Napoleon and something really crazy and interesting I learned about Napoleon's height. Basically, we've been lied to our entire lives. Thank you, movie crew, for being a part of the podcast, for listening every single week, for telling a friend. And now, let's talk movies. In a world where everyone and their mother has a podcast, one man stands to infiltrate the ears of listeners like never before in a movie podcast. A man with so much movie knowledge, he's basically like a walking IMDb with glasses. From the Nashville Podcast Network, this is Movie Mike's Movie Podcast. I wanted to do a deep dive into one of my favorite movies of all time. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from 1990 is a top 10 film for me. And I think in my movie reviewing career, I've been maybe not afraid to say that, but I feel like movie critics have... Such a high regard for their top 10 films. And I feel like some critics and reviewers want to have a top 10 that showcase their taste and their film prowess of being superior than others. But when I sit down and think about my top 10 movies of all time and throw all that stuff out the window, I think about the movies that have influenced me. And movies that have stuck with me since I was a kid through my adult life, especially ones that have reincarnated themselves in several different ways through reboots and through television shows. I think about those that are the building blocks of what make me do this podcast every single week. And for me, the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie from 1990 is a film for me, so I'm not afraid to say that. And today I want to share with you why it is a top 10 film for me, and I've given you hints at some of my other top 10 movies, like Willy Wonka I've been talking about recently with the trailer. 
So I want to look at all of the aspects surrounding the 1990 film, how this movie was based on a comic book in the 80s turned TV show. But before I get into all that, I want to share with you how I was first introduced to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And it all stems from my older brother who was born in the 80s and who was such a big fan of that original cartoon and is really the reason that I love the Turtles as much as I do because I was born in 1991. This first movie came out before I was born, but I just remember seeing it so much because he was such a big fan of it. And through me wanting to be just like my older brother and into all the things that he was, Ninja Turtles was one of those first few fandoms that I was completely a part of, even though it was just maybe a little bit before my time with the cartoon coming out in the 80s and these movies being out when I was a baby. But all through my childhood, I remember watching these VHS tapes with him and bonding so much that over the years, it has been a form of how we stay connected as brothers with the 2007 animated movie being one of the movies I remember going to see in theaters with him and being really excited about it. And even with the live action movies coming out in the 2010s, it has been a way that we've always bonded and connected with each other. So I think for a lot of kids, there is a deep personal connection with this franchise unlike anything else really out there and even more so than Marvel movies and superhero movies there is just something that instantly connects us with our childhood when it comes to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and that's why I love now that there is another reincarnation in the 2020s that is going to be that for some kid and I'll get into more of that later but let's go back to just years before this movie came out the first incarnation of the Ninja Turtles was in a comic book you had two artists Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird who were really just trying to do a parody of superhero comics, which you had X-Men, which was huge at the time, all of the Marvel comics. And one of them literally just drew a sketch of a turtle wearing a ninja mask and having a weapon. And they just thought it was funny, the idea of a ninja being as slow as a turtle. But then when they looked at this drawing, they thought maybe there's something here and they changed the design of it a little bit to look less like a slow turtle, gave them more human-like features, and then realized there actually may be something here. So again, they were pulling from that inspiration of X-Men and a character being mutants, but just thought the idea of giving those characteristics to an animal would be funny. And the first issue of the Ninja Turtles was released in 1984. They started a company called Mirage Studios, and it ended up being surprisingly a pretty big success so much so that they were able to license these characters to a toy company called playmates toys and this is where the money starts to come in because they created a line of turtle action figures but in order to sell action figures back in the 80s what was everybody doing what was thundercats doing what was he-man doing barbie gi joe they were creating cartoons so they had this deal with the toy company that you had to make a cartoon to go along with it because the cartoon really serves as the commercial for kids to buy the toy so what had to change was the tone of the comic the tone of the ninja turtles because in that first issue the entire story was very dark which will come into play later when we talk about the movie because the subject matter and the tone of the comic book was a lot grittier and darker and more vengeful so in order to make it appeal to kids their look was changed in the cartoon to make them a little softer, more appealing to kids. They also had to distinguish the characters a little bit more because in the comic book, they really just all look like Raphael. 
they all had the red mask and you couldn't really tell one turtle from the other. When you're trying to sell toys, you have to distinguish them. So they gave them each different colored mask. You have the orange as Michelangelo, the red as Raphael, the blue as Leonardo and the purple as Donatello. And then to further distinguish all of our characters, they also had on their belts the letter of their first name. So the cartoon went on to be a huge success, but more importantly, they were able to make a lot of money because the Turtles toys sold $1.1 billion between 1988 and 1992, making them the third best-selling toys of all time when it comes to action figures. So the animated series premiered in 1987 and ended up running for almost a decade. So with a successful animated show with a successful toy line, now came the time to make a movie. I feel like this is where things get interesting because the movie was a lot more closely centered on the comic than it was the animated series. Which at that time, when the animated series came out, a lot of fans of the comic were upset with it because they thought, oh, they, it really lost the edge of the comic book. So when they started making this movie, which at the time, it was an independent movie. It wasn't funded by a major studio. They decided to have this darker, grittier tone that was showcased more in the comic books. Because I feel there were only certain movies, maybe 10 total that I love every single aspect of the film, and I don't even look at it as a movie. When I sit down and watch them, it just feels like I am watching a part of myself, a part of my life, that I don't focus on the directing style, I don't focus on the cinematography. I just think of them really as life experiences, and TMNT from 1990 is a movie like that for me. Everything from the New Line Cinema logo in this movie, I just have embedded into my head. I hear this sound, I see this logo, and I immediately associate it with this first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. And there are very few movies that do that. And then after that logo, well, you get that opening scene, but what really sets it off is that theme song. Let's go. Uh. Yeah. And there, you just have me. You just grip me with that song, and it doesn't let go through the rest of the movie. So what this first movie served as was the introduction to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And in this movie, you find our four friends who are living underground in the shadows of the sewer and are protecting New York City from a gang of criminal ninjas. Ah, you love that storyline. But that's really what this story is. They are just trying to make the world above them a better place by taking out all these bad guys. But they can't be seen because they have a dad named Splinter who is a rat who rescued them as kids after stumbling upon to this ooze and they turned into these creatures who love pizza and love kicking butt. And it all starts from the opening scene of this movie where you really get the tone of this entire film April O'Neil is attacked by a group of thugs, and then the turtles come in to rescue her with Raph leaving behind his weapon and being totally upset about it. And then you get into 
finding out about their life of doing things like this that are noble and heroic, but not being able to get any of the credit because they cannot be seen. They work in the shadows. They work in the dark at night. And then they go back into the sewer and just kind of hang out and be teenagers. And then you get to know all of the Ninja Turtles with Leonardo being the leader, Donatello being the nerdier one, Michelangelo being the goofball, kind of the young one who gets away with everything and is just the comic relief in the entire movie. And then Raphael being the moody teenager with really something to prove that has this chip on his shoulder and kind of sets himself apart from all the other Ninja Turtles because he just kind of goes off on his own. It's very emo. I think as a kid growing up, I really saw myself in Michelangelo and that is actually why my family Gave me the nickname growing up as Mikey. Everybody knew me as Mikey. And it was because of my love of the Ninja Turtles and my love of the character. He had so many iconic lines in this movie like this one. Pizza dude's got 30 seconds. Mm -hmm. He had the charm like in this line. She called me Mikey. But looking back at this movie as an adult, I really just think I am more of a Raphael who... He's the moody teenager in this movie, and I think that is what lots of kids watching this, they were able to identify with a different character. And who are you most like? Are you more like Leonardo, Michelangelo, Donatello, or Raphael? Now as an adult, I think I am much more of a Raphael, who I actually think is a lot more sophisticated than a teenager in this movie. He just has this rage for no reason. It's showcased in his first battle with Casey Jones. Slow freak, I got work to do. Freak! Freak! Like that? Come back here! I'm not finished with you! That vocal performance. Damn! All of that. It just gets me of like this. Uh, uh, like I just feel that now more as an adult of when I feel like an outsider, when I feel like people don't get me, I feel very much like Raphael. And sorry if I got a little bit excited and talked over that clip. I just really felt that Raphael performance there. And there's just so much emotion showcased in this movie, and it's greatly reflected through Raphael, who is going through this mental journey of just finding his place and trying to get Splinter back after he was taken by the Foot Clan and having the thing you love the most and care about being taken away from you. So you hear it first in his encounters with Casey Jones, but then later once he finds out that Splinter has been taken. So when I look back on this movie, it is surprising to me how big of a hit it became because it was so different than the cartoons. You hear it here. You hear all the emotions. You see the action in this movie, which is, for a kid's movie, pretty violent. They actually use their weapons in this movie. And I think that's why whenever the sequel came out, Secret of the Ooze, that They got away from the use of their weapons and instead they were using other things like sausages or other objects to inflict pain on other people because kids were starting to emulate the Ninja Turtles and whacking their brothers and sisters with a stick or even worse, trying to find a sword to stab somebody with. So there was such a big tone shift between the first one and the second one. And never again in a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, whether it be a TV show or a movie, was this same energy captured. I don't think you could ever really do a movie like this again, unless like a big director like Christopher Nolan gave it the Dark Knight treatment, which would be amazing because I think their 
is a darker Ninja Turtles story to tell even more so than this one. But aside from just the character of Raphael, I just identify a lot with the Ninja Turtles of having to live in the shadows and being rejected by society and even their fascination with pizza, which I did rewatch the movie in preparation for this episode. And after all the times I've watched this movie, it finally just clicked with me. The reason they love pizza is because at the time in the 80s and 90s, it was the only food that you could really get delivered. And they can't go out in public and be seen. So they would get pizza delivered because you never had to see the person. So that's the reason they love pizza, at least in this movie, at least the conclusion I've come to. The other reason I love this movie is a lot of my vernacular, a lot of the way I speak has been influenced by this movie. And there's just very small scenes and small moments that I continue to use these phrases as an adult. There is a scene at the beginning of the movie where Raphael is going to go watch a movie and he tells everybody he's going out to watch a movie. Is that okay with you? And Leonardo gives a very casual, yeah. And I find myself saying that so much now in my adult life. And along the same lines of the use of vernacular, this movie just is a really good snapshot of what late 80s and early 90s culture is like. And I think that is what a great Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie does, is embody the culture of teenagers at that time, because... Whatever is popular with teenagers is really the driving force of what is popular in America and the best representation of what is happening in America at that time. And I think above all else, that is what this film really spoke to, the teenage rebellion and relatability of feeling like nobody is taking you seriously. That is what the Ninja Turtles embody. But I think above all else of why this is one of my favorite movies of all time and also just my favorite depiction of the Ninja Turtles is because of its use of practical effects and puppetry. The original TMNT heads and costumes were developed by Jim Henson's company, who you would know as creating the Muppets and was so influential on so many films of creating real things that in this case, the actual actors underneath could wear. And for me, that is something we have really gotten away from through the use of CGI, which I'm not totally against. I love the fact now that you can create anything through the use of CGI and make it be believable to us if done correctly, if the right time and money is spent on it. I'm not against CGI, but there is something so special when there is an actual tangible subject that can be touched but most importantly, that can be interacted with. So even going back to movies like Jurassic Park, where they actually created these animatonic dinosaurs that the actors could see and react to, that makes a big difference on how much of an authentic performance that actor can give. But in this situation with the Ninja Turtles, you have these heads that are controlled through electronics. They're essentially these puppet heads that not only can the other actors like April O'Neil or Casey Jones in this movie, interact with. But there is actually a human inside underneath doing all the moves. So you have the human doing the martial arts moves, and then you have the puppeteer doing all the movements with the face. It is just something that doesn't get done anymore. But there is such a charm to it. There is also issues with it. If you go back and watch this movie, there are a lot of mistakes that are made in one of the opening sequences where Donatello is skateboarding, you can actually see the human hands in a shot that made the final movie because, well, that's just what got left in there. 
There are other scenes that just seem a little bit awkward of when the turtles go in to hug and you have a hand over a face. You know, it's not perfect, but I feel like it's so much more authentic and also shows you that this movie was able to be made on a pretty low budget of $13.5 million, but it went on to open at the box office with $25 million in its opening weekend and went on to have a worldwide gross of $202 million and was the highest grossing independent movie up until the Blair Witch Project came out in 1999. And then what cements this movie in my top 10 is that final scene on the roof when the Ninja Turtles are taking on Shredder. It is one of the most impactful moments in cinematic history. It really is such an emotional scene and the entire movie is just kind of building up to that of the Ninja Turtles finally taking on their arch nemesis Shredder and the emotion poured out of these characters as they are fighting for their life and trying to take down Shredder is just emotions flying all over the place which leads to them finally defeating Shredder after he goes to attack Splinter. Splinter throws him off the roof. He lands in the back of a garbage truck and then our good friend Casey Jones kills a guy. This movie has a death. Again, speaking to the dark tone of this movie, he straight up gets taken out. So those are all the reasons why this is a top 10 film for me and why I was so excited to see Mutant Mayhem in theaters. And I feel like now as an adult in my 30s, I am able to speak more freely about the nerdy things I love. And even just 10, 20 years ago, if I were to speak like this, I would be seen as a total weirdo. Because I remember there being a TV show in 2004 hosted by Fred Willard called Totally Obsessed. And they focused on a Ninja Turtle fan who goes by the name of Michelle Ivey, who is actually still around on Instagram at Cowabunga Corner. But the entire profile on her was really made in a way to poke fun at her. Like, look how into Ninja Turtles she is. She is a big nerd and dweeb. And I remember seeing that and thinking... Why are they poking fun at her? She's just passionate about something that has meant so much to her as a kid. But now that she's an adult, maybe to others, that seems a little bit weird. But I never saw that as weird. She's not hurting anybody. She owns a lot of the original heads from the third movie that was made. Dresses up like a Ninja Turtle, but even uses it for good because she goes to kids' birthday parties or goes to visit kids in the hospital So I just thought it was weird, the tone of this entire profile piece, which I'm going to play for you a little bit now. And looking back on it, I just feel happy that times have changed. But this was a piece done in 2004 where they were poking fun at her and how much money she spends on all the memorabilia. Because Michelle works at a factory for a minimum wage, she takes out bank loans to feed her Ninja Turtle obsession. This had cost me $2,000. The one thing I like now is that she has her own job, she's making her own money, and she can waste her own money on this stuff. (laughs) Pardon my French. (laughs) I paid $1,800 for Leonardo. Michelle's going high risk. She's willing to put herself in the debt in order to say, I have the head of Leonardo. I have been downright told by several people, just drop the turtles and... So I would like to say justice for Michelle Ivy. I'm glad that you're still showcasing your love for the Ninja Turtles through your Instagram Cowabunga Corner and the fact that now all of us old school Ninja Turtles fans 
have something else to be excited about. I am no longer ashamed of it. I am no longer afraid to say that this movie from 1990 is a top 10 film for me. So thank you for coming to my turtle TED Talk. Gonna come back and talk about the new one, Mutant Mayhem, after this. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's gotta be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Let's get into it now. A spoiler-free movie review of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. I went into this movie wanting to feel like a kid again. As we've been talking about all episode long, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles are very near and dear to my heart, much like a lot of other 30, 35, 40-year-olds right now. And the great thing about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is about every decade we get a new introduction. So since their debut in the 80s and the 90s, 2000s, 2010s, and now 2020s, Depending on your age, you have a different opinion on what the best Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle series is of all time. I am a product of the 90s, so really to me, it's those 90s movies that really captured the essence of what made the Turtles great. And the reason I was excited about that going into this movie is because it's produced by Seth Rogen, who much like me, is also a fan of that iteration of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And I was excited about that because I knew with him as a producer on this movie, he was going to want to capture that same energy that made those movies great and bring that into this whole new story. And what I was pleasantly surprised by in this movie is that sometimes when a movie comes out like this, it just feels like a cash grab to me. You're banking on the fact that all the people that grew up with this franchise in the 80s and 90s are now adults with adult money and are going to go spend money to watch this movie to relive their childhood. But now those adults also have kids of their own. So what better moment of having this family bonding experience of you taking your now kids to go see something that you were a fan of when you were a kid. So I feel like sometimes movie studios and franchises like this just bank on that and what they end up coming out with really is a cash grab. There's nothing added in. They just rehash old storylines. 
and make it a movie that is just essentially what we knew as kids and don't really give us anything new. And I am happy to say that that is not the case with Mutant Mayhem. Quite the opposite, that this is a Ninja Turtle story that I haven't seen told in the comic books, in the TV shows, or in the movies. It's a whole new, more emotional look on the lives of the Ninja Turtles and what they face. So in this movie, you have all of our iconic characters back. You have Splinter, voiced by Jackie Chan, and then you have all of the Ninja Turtles, Michelangelo, Leonardo, Raphael, and Donatello, all voiced by actual teenagers, which I think adds a great level of authenticity to their performances. And I heard Seth Rogen talking about how he wanted to capture that energy in this movie, and I think was greatly reflected out of all of their performances, is he has been a part of animated movies where you recorded everything completely different, and you didn't see your co-stars until you went to that movie's premiere. He said the entire thing felt a little bit disconnected because you're not getting to interact with those people until the very end, so you don't really get this type of performance that really has a lot of emotion into it. It wasn't until he worked on a movie later in his career where he actually sat down with the other actors that he felt like, oh, you can actually connect with other people. So he took that idea and applied it to this movie and had all of the kids in a room together to interact. And what you get and what you hear in the movie is very authentic performances of just teenagers hanging out, being teenagers. And I've never really seen that fully encaptured in a movie, whether it be live action or whether it be animated, of just capturing that young innocence energy. And it's very much a snapshot into what teens are like right now with the use of words like bussin' or riz. All of those things are used and really effortlessly in their performances so you don't have like adult actors trying to sound like teenagers you have actual kids delivering this lines which adds just another layer of authenticity so you have the teenage part down you get to the mutant part which doesn't really stray away from the origin story we know about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, they come into contact with ooze. In this case, it is the product of a scientist who is trying to create all these animals. To create this mutant animal family, you have a fly who later becomes the villain in the movie as Superfly. You also have the classic OG villains, Bebop and Rocksteady, and then all these other new characters that are a lot of fun. But his place gets raided. The ooze goes down into the sewer, and there you find our four characters who come into contact with the ooze, and that is where Splinter finds them and tries to rescue them, in turn turning into a mutant himself. One of my favorite sequences in this movie is all the Ninja Turtles as kids, and they are so adorably cute that I would want to see a spinoff of this movie of just their adventures as kids. So maybe down the line, they want to do Baby Mutant Ninja Turtles. I think that would be a home run hit because they are so adorable to look at and so funny. But I feel like what really brings this entire story together is the animation style. So we have the teenage, we have the mutant. The Ninja Turtle part comes out in its animation style, which I think now owes a lot of credit to Spider-Man into and across the Spider-Verse of showing that animated movies can be a lot more sophisticated, not only in the style of the animation, but also in the storytelling, which you see a lot in this movie. 
So in a way, I feel like that movie paved the way for this movie to be made. Essentially, it was the blueprint of this movie because we did get a TMNT animated theatrical release in 2007, which was a lot more kid-friendly. It was still fun, but in no way does it compare to what they did in this movie. And it's a very unique animation style. I don't really think it ripped off the Spider-Verse animation style, which to me, that just feels like a comic book come to life. What they did in this movie, it almost feels like a kid's book that you would read maybe in like third or fourth grade that had this very like unique, colorful, almost watercolor based illustrations. It was almost like that come to life. Had this very fun and warm, inviting tone that I think this movie will greatly speak to kids, but also me as an adult and a fan of animation now just gives me something very unique to look at. All of the character designs were very nicely updated, kind of along the same lines of the look we got in the late 2000s and early 2010s of the Ninja Turtles. So I would say if they were trying to recreate any era of the Ninja Turtles, it would be that era, not so much the original 80s cartoon. So you have the animation style, and then you have the soundtrack and the score in this movie, which a lot of the soundtrack is 90s hip-hop, which is perfectly used in this movie. To hear Wu-Tang in an animated movie like this also just really warmed my heart, and I find it surprising how well this entire soundtrack worked in this movie. Maybe it's because Ice Cube is the voice of Superfly. You also have my favorite artist, Post Malone, as Ray Fillet. Ray Filet. So maybe the 90s hip hop aspect was just an easy plug and play. But aside from the 90s hip hop, you also have this menacing score, synth pop rock that is very charging throughout the entire movie. Now that did remind me a lot of Into the Spider-Verse of having this kind of dark, unsettling tone that something bad was going to happen. So this entire score just really helped drive home the tone in this movie which I feel like is one of the most emotional stories told in a Ninja Turtles movie. Really, the main message of this movie is them wanting to feel like humans do and be accepted by humans when you have their dad, Splinter, telling them how awful humans are and they are trying to prove him wrong by going out and experiencing the real world for the first time after a lifetime of living down in the sewer. So this is really their true origin story of becoming heroes, and one of my favorite scenes is the first time they get into a real fight, which brings one of my favorite things of superheroes discovering their powers. It's them finally getting to use all of their iconic weapons against this new enemy for the very first time. So it is a very mature and more developed Ninja Turtle story, proving it doesn't just have to be that cheesy 80s cartoon or the silliness of the 90s or the more playfulness and family-friendly iterations that we've had in the 2000s and 2010s. Now showing that these characters have a little bit more depth can be taken a little bit more seriously, at least to the adults who see this movie, but also being warm, fun, and inviting to all the kids. Because surprisingly, this movie does have... I don't want to say bad language, but a little bit more suggestive than I was expecting. There are times that I feel like Ice Cube had to kind of pull the reins in a little bit where he easily could have dropped some S, maybe even some F-bombs in this movie. He probably did while recording his lines. And they're like, hey, you got to tone it back. This is a Nickelodeon film. But as far as the violence, it is far less violent than the original TMNT movie. So I feel like this movie was very much a love letter and an ode to all those classic OG fans of the franchise. 
recognize even from the opening scene where all of the Ninja Turtles are on this roof in New York City, where it's essentially the cover of that first ever Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic book. That was kind of like, hey, we see all you original fans and then quickly just opens up to here is what we're actually going to do and introduce these turtles to a whole new generation. And I think they completely nailed it. I can't wait to see what they do next. I can't wait to see what all other villains they incorporate in this franchise, which again, I won't spoil anything, but they have a whole new take on the way the Ninja Turtles interact with the villains, which was really what made this movie for me. So for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, I give it four out of five heroes in a half shell. Turtle power. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. (sighs) Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. It's time to head down to Movie Mike's Trailer Park. I love it when directors can make history sexy. I love a sexy historical drama. I think it's probably because after watching Oppenheimer, now I'm craving it a little bit to think that there's stories out there to be told inside history that we really don't know a whole lot about. But if given the right director, you can make us so passionate about history and make us want to learn more, I am all about it. So now we have a new movie coming out later this year on November 22nd called Napoleon. It stars the one and only Academy Award winning Joaquin Phoenix, one of my favorite actors right now. Really, I would say in the last 10 years, I have loved every single Joaquin Phoenix movie. If he is in a movie, I know it's going to be something special, whether it be Joker, whether it be her, whether it be Napoleon. And I am all interested in watching this movie now. It is from director Ridley Scott, who is an English filmmaker to some known as Sir Ridley Scott. But he is known for movies like Alien, the original Blade Runner, Thelma and Louise, Gladiator, Hannibal, Black Hawk Down, The Martian. The list goes on and on. He really has quite the range I mean, science fiction, crime, historical. There are so many things inside of his portfolio. And now he's taking on the story of the French emperor, Napoleon. Before I get into my full thoughts about this movie, here's just a little bit of the trailer. What is your name? 
Napoleon. As the course of my life just changed. Napoleon. I'm destined for greatness. But those in power will only see me as a sword. I suggest you take the throne as a king. Shall we vote? So what this movie is about, it is the rise and fall of Napoleon. Napoleon was born in France on August 15th, 1769, and died on May 5th, 1821. So this is a time period I really don't know a whole lot about. The story focuses greatly on the general and emperor's rise to power during that time span, and most importantly, his relationship with Empress Josephine Bonaparte, played by Vanessa Kirby. I'm probably slaughtering a lot of those names, but I'm also trying to be a little overly fancy on all of these names. The thing I found most surprising about this movie and what I learned in my research about Napoleon is that we always hear about the Napoleon complex of him being this short guy with a big ego and wanting to have all this power and was seen as being ruthless. And the reason he was so ruthless is because he was short and trying to compensate for something. And in my research, I found that Napoleon really wasn't as short as we all thought to be because it is often reported that he was five foot two, at least according to history. However, this was pre-metric system in the French inch. So actually, Napoleon was not five foot two at all. By today's standards, he would have been five foot six. And the reason I stumbled upon this is because I wondered about Joaquin Phoenix's height and whether he was portraying this character correctly, because in the trailer, he just looks like a normal human, which Joaquin Phoenix is five foot eight. So when lining that up, historically, he is five foot eight, only two inches taller than Napoleon would have been. It makes me feel like I've been lied to my entire life. And I thought that there had to be a reason for this. And there is, is because there was a British political cartoonist who lived and worked from the years 1756 to 1850. And his caricatures that he drew of Napoleon were so highly influential on Napoleon's life and everybody's depiction of him because they saw him in these cartoons that this cartoonist portrayed him as this small, angry man who was throwing this childlike tantrum. And this is just how everybody started to see him and the idea behind these political cartoons was to depict him in a way that really made him seem inferior. Because being five foot six at that time, he was really the same size of all of his peers. So man, this was like social media before social media was around. The political cartoons back in the day were brutal that they could completely change the perception of you just based upon the image that everybody gets in their head by what they are shown in the media. Crazy to me. That blew my mind. But going back to what this movie is going to be about, I think Joaquin Phoenix is the perfect person to play Napoleon. And I love it when an actor of his caliber portrays a character that we really don't have anything to compare it to. We're not going to go back and compare it to clips of Napoleon because they don't exist. But he is an actor who goes so far into his character study, goes a little bit method at times, not as crazy as maybe a Daniel Day-Lewis, but really is able to give their interpretation of what they think a person like this living in this time would have been like. So I am so excited for him to do this, but also the fact that it's coming from director Riley Scott, 
who has worked with Joaquin Phoenix before in Gladiator. And in his movies, he is just able to have this kind of visceral tone that's very theatrical, especially when it comes to big action sequences and big fight scenes, which this trailer gives you a bit of a taste from that. And it also has the Apple TV Plus model backing it, which tells you it's going to be very visually stunning. So this movie is coming out in theaters on November 22nd and then will be released on Apple TV Plus at a later date. I also just love it when movies are made about people and they show you the good but also the worst sides of their character to fully flesh out the story. That is oftentimes why I don't really like biopics that come out when a person is still alive or maybe just passed away not too long ago because I feel like you're really not going to get the full story there. You have a lot of influence from either the person themselves or their families. And with the historical drama like this, I feel like we're going to get the very, very bad side of Napoleon in this because just by the looks of the trailer, he does not look like a good guy. And that was this week's edition of Movie Minds Trailer Park. And that's going to do it for another episode here of the podcast. But before I go, I got to give my listener shout out of the week. You can get a listener shout out by commenting on one of my reels or tiktoks hitting me up on twitter or threads or facebook you can find that all in the episode notes but this week i am going over to the comments of my oppenheimer review and this week's listener shout out is the one and only jeremy martin who commented on that video and said love the podcast dude i'm wondering what are your go-to snacks and drinks for movies also is there a chain of theaters you prefer versus one you will never visit again thank you jeremy for the question because in that video kelsey and i are getting settled going to watch oppenheimer kelsey has her popcorn and in this video she has her diet pepsi which those are her go-to movie snacks for me it's a little bit different if you don't know i am vegan so really there are very limited options if any for me at the movie theater so oftentimes i bring my own snacks which I usually tell them I have dietary restrictions, which isn't a lie. I'm not just trying to sneak in food, but there's really nothing there that I can eat that is vegan. So what I usually bring is one of my favorite snacks from Trader Joe's called Fruise Balls. They're like these vegan energy balls that are very delicious, in particular, the peanut butter and jelly flavor. That is a great movie snack, and when it comes to drinks, sometimes I'll just get a bottle of water. I know, very sexy here. I get my bottle of water with my Fruise Balls. Or sometimes I will bring in a can of high brew, which is my favorite cold brew coffee, especially in a longer movie when I really want to focus in and pay attention. So for Oppenheimer, I had my own can of high brew, which I will always pick out the right moment of the film to crack it open. If there's an explosion or a big talking scene, I'll wait for that and be like, and open up my high brew. So thank you, Jeremy, for that question. My go-to movie snacks are fruit balls and coffee. I'm a wild guy, everybody. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope you enjoyed that. Thank you for letting me talk all about my love of the Ninja Turtles. Share this episode with a TMNT fan in your life. And until next time, go out and watch good movies. And I will talk to you later. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, 
You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.